Thank you, Rabbi Rothwax, Shusra of Shechter, Rabbi Rothwax, Marad Asra. I apologize to those who came for the 8.45 slot and uh, justifiably and understandably disappointed. I, I apologize. <laughs> in, in the Haggadah, we, we quote the Maim Chazal. The Chazal tells us that uh, Yaakov Avinu, Melamed, that Yaakov Avinu lo yarad lemitzrayim lehishtakeya sham elalogla. He didn't come to settle in Mitzrayim. He just came to visit in Mitzrayim. Logor is from the uh, Shorish of Ger, to be a stranger. So it means you're just passing through. You're just visiting. And in Lishtakeya, the same Shorish as Shkia, to, when the sun sets, it means to sink roots. So Yaakov Avinu didn't come to Mitzrayim to settle. He just came as a stranger. He came to visit. So what's puzzling about this is that the Chazal tell us that HaKadosh Baruch Hu, that they uh, amplify the Pesach when, when uh, Yaakov Avinu had hesitations uh, despite the, the great uh, attraction and pull of going to see Yosef and, and having a reunion after so many years of separation, so Yaakov Avinu hesitated. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu reassures them that Anochi Eri Lemcho Mitzrayma V'anochi Alcho Gam Olo V'yosef Yoshes Yoda Aleinecha So Chazal explained that that means Rashi quotes it but that means that HaKadosh Baruch Hu tells him you're going to die in Mitzrayim and Yosef Yoshes Yoda Aleinecha Yosef will take care of you and I'll, and I'll see to it I, I'm, I'm guaranteeing you Yaakov that you'll be buried that you'll be Zohar to be buried in Eretz Yisrael so Yaakov Avinu knows that he's moving to Mitzrayim and that he's going to be, he's going to be carried back and that he's not coming back to, to Eretz Yisrael. So what does it mean that, that he, didn't, he only went Logor, that he didn't go Lishtakeya? Of course he went Lishtakeya. If a person uh, decides, if an older person decides that he's going to move into a retirement residence. So you don't have the, the attitude that it's, uh, that it's Logor. You have the attitude that it's, uh, that it's uh, Lishtakeya, where, where, where a person uh, retires to. So the answer is that, that even though Yaakov Avinu knew full well what HaKadosh Baruch Hu had told him, but nevertheless, axiologically, in terms of Yaakov Avinu's attitude, so Yaakov Avinu's attitude was that Eretz Canaan, Eretz Yisrael, remained his home. And even if, even if the Rebbeinu Shalom dictated for, for reasons... Uh, having to do with the unfolding of Jewish history, that Yaakov Avinu had to go down and spend his last uh, 17 years in Mitzrayim. But nevertheless, in terms of on, on an axiological level, so Yaakov Avinu said, but I'm only visiting here. I'm a stranger here. Maybe it's going to be the case. Not maybe. It is going to be the case that I'll be here for the rest of my, for the rest of my life, but I'll be here a, a, as a stranger. So the first principle in, in terms of living as a Jew in Gentile society is that it has to be done with the, with the attitude of Logor and, and not Lehishtakeya. Even if circumstances dictate and every one of us makes a constant Cheshvan Anafesh is constantly reassessing whether in fact circumstances dictate or, or whether it's just inertia dictating but even if circumstances dictate so that we live outside of Eretz Yisrael, it has to be done on the model of Yaakov Avinu that is Logon, not Lehishtakeya. Someone once told me a, a story that he met the uh, Rav in the airport. 
And uh, the, the Rav was, uh, was making conversation with him, asked him, so wh- where do you live now? So he told him what, uh, what community he, he lived in. And he said that the Rav commented, yeah, it's a very beautiful community. The only problem is that they forget that they're in Chutzlaretz. The, the, the name of the community is not really relevant to the story because unfortunately I think we can all uh, fill in the blank with the, the names of, uh, of, of too many communities. And that was the same idea of Logor and, and not Lehishtakeya. Even if one, one has the attitude of, of Logor, so we still have to be very aware that one of the principles of uh, human behavior and human psychology, the Rambam tells us in Hilchus Deus, is that we're influenced by our surroundings and that we're very susceptible to being influenced by the culture, by the, the mindset in which, we, in which we find ourselves. One of the problems, and, and recently it has received a lot of attention and, and justifiably so, is, is that there's a phenomenon, Nachman al-Litzlan, of children who, in their youth, their parents send them to yeshivas, to day schools, and then after high school, post-high school, so Nachman al there is, there is such a phenomenon of that, they, that they go after Darach and that they assimilate. Now clearly, clearly, the response to that has to be an intensification of Chinuch. Chinuch has to be A, as long as possible, and B, as much and as deep and as profound as possible. Interestingly, the, the Gemara Kiddushin quotes the Pasuk, right? If there's one Pasuk which, uh, if, if we would ask, what's the Pasuk which everyone associates with Chinuch? So I think we'd all, uh, we'd all respond, Chanuch Pidarka. That's the Pasuk the, the, the mandate for, for Chinuch. Interestingly, the Gemara Kiddushin says, so what's the, the prime age at which you can fulfill this mandate of Chanuch L'Nar Pidarko that you can really, really make a lasting impact and imprint upon the child? So we would say uh, 12, 13, around those uh, pre-teen years, early teen years. So the Gemara Kiddushin talks about the Gemara has two Lashonos either from age 16 to 22 or age 18 to 24. So we, we sometimes have the, the notion that when the... And again, this itself is an example of, of influence which uh, the surrounding society has on us, that by the time the, the, the children graduate high school, so then, okay, so then we've, we've finished our chinuch, we've done our best, so now Baruch Hashem, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's widely accepted in our circles that, that uh, upon graduating the, the, the young men and ladies they, they go to Eretzisrael for a year or two and that's wonderful but then we, we too often have the attitude well we finished the Chinuch and the Gemara and Kiddushin says no the Gemara and Kiddushin says beyond that beyond age 22 beyond age 24 then it's going to be too late then it's going to be too late to to exert that same kind of uh, influence as we have the opportunity to do at, at these earlier stages. But Chinuch continues. The child graduates high school at 16, 17. He's not a finished product. On the contrary, the most dangerous time in terms of 
in terms of internalizing whether or not the child, as the child uh, becomes an adult, whether or not it's go- the, the child, he or she, is going to internalize the commitment and remain steadfast in one's dedication to Torah and mitzvahs, uh, these few years between the time he or she graduates high school and the time of marriage. It's during that time when they leave the parental home before they settle into their own home. So that's the most vulnerable time. The most vulnerable time. And, and, and we need to have a, a, an awareness of that, that the chinuch isn't complete. Chinuch isn't complete. At, at, uh, at the age of, of high school graduation. Obviously, you, you have to talk to a child differently at every age. Uh, we, we have to talk to our, our children differently. You don't talk to an 18-year-old the same way, uh, the same way we talk to an 8-year-old. That, that, that's understood, but we have to continue the talking. The talking and the chinuch has to, has to continue. There's also been a, a lot of uh, discussion and, and, and debate lately trying to heighten awareness in terms of the challenges and at times uh, spiritual dangers of secular campuses. And this is also something, again, which too often is part of that same mindset that the chinuch has already been completed by the time high school graduation is done. So then we don't necessarily uh, take this into account. And, and these, again, are very impressionistic years. Again, this is the, this is the danger zone between the time uh, the children graduate high school and between the time they settle down and get married. It's these few years which are the, 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 when they're most susceptible, Rahman al-Islam, to, to, to slipping. So we have to be aware of the culture, the culture on, on, on secular campuses. Many of you, I'll, I'll ask the question that many of you are wondering about, didn't, didn't he go to a secular college? So the answer is yes. And the answer is that, that, that I did. Um, I, I would tell you a couple of things, not by way of apologetics, but just by way of, uh, depending upon one's perspective, that can either disqualify or qualify. And uh, I'm not, uh, I won't uh, pass judgment on that. I'll, uh, we'll put a box here later for everyone to, to put their vote in. First of all, it, it's very different, very different whether you live there or you don't live there. Living there, so then one is, is sort of enveloped by the culture. You sort of come in and out, it's a very different, very different experience, very different experience. But even then, even then, I have to tell you honestly, I wouldn't do it again. E- even then, even just a little bit, a little bit of just going in and out a few hours a day, even that is not, uh, it's, 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 it's not a healthy, it's not a healthy place, not a healthy place, even if one is, uh, is blessed with, uh, with wonderful resources uh, at home to counter it, it's still, uh, it's still not a uh, conducive surroundings, and again, and we, we have to be aware of the spiritual dangers that it poses, and again, that these are the years of Hanukkah Dar Al Pidaka between 16 and 22. Whether, according to Rashi, whether it means actually to marry off the children during this period, or whether it means that that's when we give the most intensive, uh, intensive instruction, whichever Pshat and Rashi one takes. But we have to realize that these are prime years of Chinuch, not that this is beyond, not that this is beyond. 
That's chinuch as long as possible. What about chinuch as, as much as possible, as deeply as possible? So the Posuk, when it describes Avodus Hashem, so the Posuk invites us, Tamu u'u. Tamu u'u, right? Literally means taste and see Kitov Hashem. Tamu u'u. So the, the Posuk uses very sensual imagery and, and metaphor, right? To taste, to see. The, 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 the five senses. So why, why, that, why that kind of imagery? So what the Pasuk here is alluding to is that in order to foster an abiding commitment to Torah, so it's not enough that a person knows Torah, a person has to experience Torah. And that's what the metaphor of Tamu Uru'u is. Not just, not, not just something purely intellectual, but rather tamu u'u. It has to be that, that one experiences experiences Torah. I think what we're all familiar that uh, the, the, the Rav often spoke, and, and this is in some of his Ksavim as well. It, it, it can be can be read that he said that he in in his typical self-effacing style he said you know that that he feels that he's failed in a certain respect, as a, as a mechanech, as a malamid. That as much Torah as he's been able to transmit to his Talmidim, he says that the experience of Yahadus, he doesn't feel that he's been successful in, 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 in conveying that. And ultimately, ultimately, what, what helps a person withstand the nisyonos of, of being of being drawn in and, and sucked into a materialistic, mindless culture, ultimately what, what, what protects a person against that is not, not just knowing Torah, but having experienced Torah. Tamu u'u. In our chinuch, in our chinuch, so we have to try, again, whether it's in the yeshivas or, or, or at home as well, not only, not only to impart knowledge, not only to impart knowledge, but it should be a tamu If a person has ever experienced the sweetness, the sweetness of learning apostle chumash, how much there is in, uh, in, in a single, a single apostle chumash, how, how much there is. Adav gemara, a person tastes that, a person experiences that, so does it mean that a person knows the answer to, to every question that he may confront? Does he know the answer to why, to why we, our tradition is that the world is 5,764 years old and the scientists tell us differently? No, he doesn't know. But there's a difference between Akashi and Atyufta. So some things we don't know. Okay, if it bothers enough or, or if it's uh, intrinsically worthwhile, so then we'll investigate it and we'll try to educate ourselves. But there's a difference. A person doesn't feel threatened by a question. Because if a person experiences the, the truth and, and greatness of Torah, so then questions are just that. They're not potential refutations. They're not, they're not threatening. But if a person only has knowledge, it's not with a time or ooh. But learning was, was too academic. It was a subject in school. The, 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 the gishmak of Torah wasn't, wasn't conveyed. A person didn't experience the, the unparalleled, unique sweetness of Torah, of Shabbos. So then if a person only has knowledge of Torah and then he has questions, so then the questions can, can erode the commitment to And specifically, it's very important that we try to impart 
that we try to cultivate for ourselves and that we try to impart to our children that the, whole, the way the entire world is experienced has to be through a lens, through a prism of, of faith. That the way we experience, the way we, we hear the news, the way we experience what happens in our daily lives, we do that again, we see it through a lens, through a prism of light, through a prism of emunah, of, of hashkocha pratis. If a person sees, sees the, the world that way, sees the world that way, so then one constantly sees Yad Hashem, one is constantly reminded of the Yivon Shalom's presence, of his involvement, and again, one just experiences the truth, so one, one's not going to be distracted. The, the, the questions are not going to erode what one's commitment. That too, experiencing the world, seeing it through a lens, through a prism of faith, is part of what a Apostle of Tamu instructs us to do. One of the dangers in, in, in living as, as a minority in society is that often we become defensive, apologetic, even ashamed about our core beliefs. And clearly such defensiveness is the first step on the road to complete assimilation, Rahman al-Islan, and it's a large first step of that. The, the Torah insists that we should be proud of what we believe and very straightforward and assertive as circumstances warrant about what we believe. Right? The very first Rashi and Chumash with which we're all familiar that Amr of Yitzchak, why does the Torah begin with Breshis? Why doesn't the Torah begin with HaChadosh Zelochem? That if the Umar Sa'olam will uh, tell us what right do you have to Eretz Yisrael, list them at them, so what we're supposed to say is that the Rebbe Shalom created the world. He originally settled the, the seven nations there and then he expelled the seven nations and he gave it for, to, forever and ever to us. So, Hasbara invoking all other kinds of uh, factors which people can understand is important and it has its place. But not to displace, the, the Torah says that we have to be willing to say Maybe it, it doesn't seem politically correct, and maybe it's not the most popular, but we're not supposed to be embarrassed, we're not supposed to be defensive. But what is our claim to Eretz Yisrael? So the ultimate claim, the claim is, because HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave it to us, HaKadosh Baruch Hu promised to us, and Rashi says, not just that we need to know this for ourselves, but we should, we should say to the Umar Sa'olam that there shouldn't be anything defensive about it. To the Umar Sa'olam we say, again, if, if if there are going to be uh, some who are not going to be swayed by that and we can make other compelling and, and cogent arguments which can try to enhance uh, the, the security of Medina Yisrael, so we make those arguments as well, as well but, but not at the expense of being willing to, to, to say this. You know, some of the, I forget which one, maybe uh, multiple ones did, but some of the uh, organizations uh, involved in in lobbying for Medina Yisrael here in America circulated a copy of a uh, speech which a senator, a Republican from Oklahoma I'm, I'm not sure if I have the pronunciation of the name correct I think the name is Inhofe which he delivered on the Senate floor in, uh, in March of 2002 and in this speech he gave seven reasons for what he thinks is the basis of Israel's legitimate claim and right to 
Eretz Yisrael. And the seventh reason, and we'll see in a minute, he says this is the most important reason. I believe very strongly that we ought to support Israel, that it has a right to the land. This is the most important reason because God said so. As I said a minute ago, look it up in the book of Genesis. It's right up there on the desk. In Genesis 13, 14, 17, the Bible says, The Lord said to Abram, Lift up now your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward, for all the land which you see, to you will I give it and to your seed forever. Arise, walk through the land. Arise, walk through the land in the length of it and in the breadth of it, for I will give it to thee. And then he concludes that this is not a political battle at all. It is a contest over whether or not the word of God is true. So if, if, he, if he can say that on the Senate floor, then we should, be, we should have the, the courage of our belief and beliefs and convictions to say that as well. Regardless of one's uh, political, this is not a political statement, regardless of what uh, political party one identifies uh, oneself with and Eretz Yisrael, it's got nothing to do with this. This is a, a totally non-partisan, apolitical statement. And again, if, if we find ourselves hesitant about saying it, so that bespeaks a sense of defensiveness, a sense of, of being apologetic, even ashamed about our core beliefs, and that's one of the main, main challenges that we have to confront living in, as a minority in a Gentile society. Along the same lines, we have to realize that the, that the more prominent Jews become in the national scene, so the more scrutiny there will be regarding our, our beliefs. The Gorn Sanhedrin says that, that a person is not supposed to invite Nisyonos, that David Melch did so, and the result was that he was Nechshel. So if David Melch Yisrael couldn't withstand a self-imposed Nisayon, so then certainly we are not supposed to look for Nisyonos. So a person has to realize, uh, again, in, in terms of prominence in, in national politics, that one's uh, orthodox beliefs are going to be scrutinized. Now, undeniably, there are many universal elements to Yahadus, which it's easy to speak about in the public square, but there are also many particularistic uh, elements to, to Yahadus, which are equally integral and indispensable and, and core beliefs of, of Yahadus. So, before one becomes all, all euphoric, about uh, Jews uh, achieving national prominence in the American political scene, so one has to first gauge and calculate whether or not we're ready for that nisayon of having our of having our beliefs scrutinized, and whether or whether or not this nisayon of not being defensive, not being apologetic, not even being uh, ashamed, or whether or not this is too much of a nisayon that that we're inviting. That there certainly shouldn't just be a a, uh, a a gut reaction of oh this is this is wonderful it's uh, it's, it's euphoria it's, it's 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 a wonderful accomplishment provided provided that that individually or collectively we're ready for that scrutiny and we're ready to respond to the questions again unapologetically straightforwardly it doesn't mean that we have to volunteer every uh, seif in shulchan but when asked 
a person can't fudge. When asked, the person has to respond honestly, directly, and with uh, the pride of, uh, of our convictions. Now, related to the issue of, of defensiveness is, is that of being impressed with secular achievements and secular credentials. Now, there is an issue in the Torah, in Sefer Dvarim, there is an issue of, of Los Sechanim. The issue of Los Sechanim is that one is not supposed to compliment an idolater. One is not supposed to compliment an Ovid Avodazar. So the Rambam and the Sefer Chinuch tell us what's the reason for this. Because the reason is that when you compliment someone, so that sort of invites emulation, right? If you compliment, so then you, you, you're, you're encouraging that, that to emulate, right? Uh, imitation is the highest form of flattery, right? Because if you really uh, esteem someone, if you really think there's what to compliment, so then you emulate the person. So therefore, we're not supposed to, we're not supposed to compliment we're not supposed to compliment and, and, and hold up as an example an idolater, an, an Ovid Avodizara. So along the same lines, along the same lines, whether every example technically uh, qualifies to be included under the rubric of this love is, is a different story, but certainly along the same lines, when, when we find ourselves more impressed by, by someone who, say, becomes a uh, high-ranking uh, baseball executive, um, rather than uh, someone who chose to make Aliyah to Eretz Yisrael. So then th- the question is whether or not we've absorbed too much of the values of the society in which we live rather than our own native Jewish values. And and this part of the part of the, the question which we discussed before in terms of prolonging our children's chinuch that when they go to when they go to college maybe to send them to send them to to yeshiva college send them to to stern rather than than living on a secular campus so truth be told one of the reasons one of the reasons that 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 sometimes people don't want to do that is that it's more prestigious to go to the other places but why? But that's also it's not that's not uh, it's not the uh, Yiddish yichus that uh, that they're being uh, attracted to. And what's more, what's more in terms of making that decision, so one doesn't have to the the, the yeshiva certainly uh, certainly uh, strives for excellence and should strive for excellence. But in order to, to send our children there, we don't have to make a decision that they're the uh, equal of, uh, of, of other colleges. No, they don't have the resources of, of many private schools and therefore will never be the equal of them. But they have something which, uh, which no other school can, can offer and which is genuinely prestigious, Torah, rather than, again, some, some non-Jewish prestige. Certainly one of the aspects of, of the topic we're discussing about is how we relate more on an institutional and communal level than on a personal level to the religion or religions of the society in which we live. Shachta spoke about one, one aspect, a couple of aspects of this, and uh, I also 
um, don't intend any kind of comprehensive uh, treatment, but uh, perhaps just one or two hellos, uh, one or two thoughts which I'd like to share with you. First of all, the, the, the issue of how we interact with uh, other religions, specifically interfaith dialogue and, and the like, so we have to realize that even before one has decided whether or not it's mutta, osa, mitzvah, whatever, whatever one thinks it is, so we have to recognize that we're dealing with something which potentially has ramifications for all of Klal Yisrael. It's not just the ramifications for one person or one institution. It has ramifications for all of Klal Yisrael, A. And B, potentially, even if one thinks that in this set of circumstances it is warranted, and that the nature of the, the contact and the interaction is such that it's not only permissible but warranted, even if one thinks that that is true in, in an individual set of circumstances, one has to recognize but the, that determination is we're dealing with these surim, which are potentially Yehoyag Valyava. We're dealing with these surim, which are part of the, part of the Abizrahu of Avodazara, and therefore, potentially, Again, whether that's the case actually is the determination and the deliberation which has to be made. But we're dealing with Isurim, which are potentially Yehoag Valyavla. So that combination of A, dealing with a topic which has ramifications for Klal Yisrael, and B, it's not a question of whether Klal Yisrael should say, Tachman on Pesach Sheini. That also has ramifications for Klal Yisrael, whether, whether you say Tachman on Pesach Sheini. But we're talking about a Shaila which has ramifications for Klal Yisrael in terms of the Dvarim HaOmdim, Berum HaShel Olam. Again, potentially, potentially, not necessarily actually, that depends upon the Psach. But potentially, so clearly the decisions and the, has to be made by Gedoli Yisrael. It's not something that, uh, that, that, that uh, we, um, with certain exceptions, but it's not something that we can, uh, can uh, decide and, uh, and, 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 pass, uh, and pass judgment on. Even when the Gedolim decide that such contact is advisable because it's, it's seen as an attempt to contain and, and try to prevent the, the resurgence of, of, the, of anti-Semitism, but even then it has to be done very, very carefully under very strict guidelines. Some of those guidelines, again, I'm just going to mention, I'm going to mention three, but not, the list is not exhaustive, it's not comprehensive, is that the, the people who, who are representing Torah, representing the Jewish people, again, as we spoke about, they can't be defensive. Can't be defensive. They can't be afraid of, uh, of, of bringing up the bloody, bloody history or even the, the attempt to, to deny it, which is ongoing, which is ongoing. Number two, as, as the, as the Rav wrote and, and reiterated many times, the interaction can't involve religious cooperation. I'll just read you one, one, one line, one or two lines from the Rav's uh, essay, his position paper on this. The relationship between two communities must be outer-directed and related to the secular orders with which men of faith come face to face. In the secular sphere, we may discuss positions to be taken, 
ideas to be evolved and plans to be formulated. In these matters, religious communities may together recommend action to be developed and may seize the initiative to be implemented, implemented later by general society. Right? So the Rav says very clearly that the only type of cooperation which is possible is not sort of uh, is, is not uh, helping each other in our internal struggles, but rather if there's anything chutz, vis-a-vis the general society, vis-a-vis the general society, there's some uh, legislation pending in, uh, in, in Congress or something like that, there's something which is in the public square where, the, where there's going to be a, a policy accepted and, and legislated so then, in terms of addressing the secular sphere, that there can be cooperation. But it's never religious cooperation. It's always something which is uh, purely social and, and political. And finally, and this the Rav was very, very adamant about, that there's no publicity given to it. Because the very minute you have publicity given to it, even if it otherwise would comply with these guidelines, so the very fact that it's, uh, that it's front page news distorts what it is and it makes it into something which it otherwise would not have been. Which it otherwise would not have been. And the truth is that for that matter, and I'd like to just tell you one story to illustrate it, the Rav did have occasion to have contact. It's not widely known because there was no, there was no publicity. And once one of the uh, leading figures um, came, to, came to see him and again, no, no one knew about it. Only a handful of individuals knew about it because there was no publicity given. But the Rav felt that it was important to, to meet with him. And there was no question of religious cooperation. And you know what the Rav told him? So the Rav reminisced about his childhood memories about Easter Sunday, what it meant, Easter Sunday in Europe. And how once he ventured out of the house innocently as a little boy, not realizing what it is, and what mortal fear his mother had, his mother was a very, his mother was very relaxed, very, uh, wasn't, uh, wasn't high strung, very, very relaxed. And, and he described, he described to, to this leading figure in the church, he described and said, this is what I remember vividly from my youth was the mortal fear that we had that you couldn't go outdoors on, on Easter Sunday. So if a person, if a person is willing to, 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 to look to look the, his the person with, with whom the, the contact is being made in the eye and, and share that memory so then one doesn't have to worry about defensiveness and, and one can can then then hope that, that given the circumstances that warrant it that, that the, the meeting will will serve the purpose that it does but if one doesn't have that the courage to do that, the courage to do that, the courage to just speak about truth and speak about facts, even if they're not politically uh, correct. So then the very minute one's going to be defensive, so then the, the whole meeting becomes, becomes distorted. It almost becomes uh, an, an acknowledgement of uh, sort, of, sort of accepting a revisionist view of history if one is not willing to, to raise these hard, these hard issues. Finally, and, and, and with, this, with, with this I'll conclude, it, it's late, 
We also have to be aware, again, in line with what the Rambam tells us in Hilchus Deus, of the influence which society has upon us, of the effect which society has on us in matters of hashkafa. That there are many, many things that we struggle with, not because there's anything inherently difficult in the Torah, but just because we have absorbed so much of what uh, Western society, what, uh, what American society says about these, about these topics. Whether it's belief, and I'll just, just list a few topics, each of which is, is, is worth elaborating on, but I'll just, just mention the topics. Whether it's the view in egalitarianism, that uh, equality has to, between the genders has to mean sameness and that there can't be any difference, there can't be any differences, so egalitarianism of, of American society rejects that, whether it's the American rejection of absolute truth, that, uh, that, that all truth is relative, whether it's the, again, discomfort with ideas such as Amanivchar and in general particularism of Yahadus, all these things we have to be aware of the influence which the society around us exerts upon us and we have to strengthen our Muna in, in, these, in these areas. It's interesting, again, referring back to the Haggadah, so the, the Haggadah tells us that we don't respond to the Ben Rosha, right? Afata Hakeyashina, but we don't respond to him. So the Mepharshim asked, but in the Chumash, right? So ostensibly we do respond. So ostensibly we do. So the Mepharshim explained, no, but if you look carefully, in the other cases it's you speak to him. Here it's we're not addressing him. No, so it's like the Baal Haggadah tells us. We don't address the, 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 the Ben Rasha because he's not interested. It's not Vahoyaki Yashalka, it's Vahoyaki Yombu. He's not asking, he's making a cynical uh, comment. It's a rhetorical, cynical question. So we don't answer him. So what are we talking then for? So why isn't there just silence? Why don't we just ignore it? So the answer is that even if he doesn't deserve an answer and even if we're not answering him, but we still need, if we're confronted with that, we need to reinforce for ourselves, our own emunah, and we need to make sure that we have clarity on this. Even if the Ben Rosha asked in such a way that shows that he's not interested in hearing a response, so we don't waste time responding to him, but if we've heard the question, so then we need to, to reinforce our own belief and make sure that we have clarity on these issues. And all of these issues again, which the society in which we live challenges us on. So whether or not there's someone to discuss it with uh, in terms of outer directedness is a different story. But, but even if there isn't, even when there isn't, so we certainly need to make sure that we have clarity on what the Torah's position on all of these issues is.